You know, one of the coolest things about being a part of the Mill City Church family when we are together every Sunday and Wednesday nights is when you miss a service or two, it feels like you've been gone for a month. So, boy, I'm just so excited to be back at Mill City Church. I love being here. I love uh, uh, the family that God has put together. Uh, it is a blessing. Let's open God's Word to uh, Matthew chapter 3 beginning with verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Heavenly Father, uh, God, we praise your name. You are a good God, and um, we pray for your blessing upon your word that hearts would be open today that there would be action uh, based on um, what you speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we come to verse 13 of chapter 3 in our study of Matthew, and I have the opportunity once again to preach on what I believe is the single most important step of obedience in a Christian's life. It's water baptism. As a church, we really uh, should have three major components. One, to glorify God. We've just done that as we open the service with worship and glorifying God. Second, to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And third, is to grow up in our salvation. One of the key verses that nearly every week we have the opportunity to revisit is the Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. This is the Great Commission. Go make disciples. How do we do that? Well, it tells us. Notice, very clearly, it says to baptize them and to teach them to obey everything else. Now, I was raised in church, I mean, from birth, I was in church. My dad was a pastor in Mobile, Alabama. When I was born, uh, he, uh, when when I was two, we moved to Springfield, Missouri, uh, where he became a uh, a more of a traveling minister in his capacity as a a college president for the Assemblies of God. Uh, His father was a pastor before him. Uh, both sides of my, of my family, my mom and dad's side, were in the ministry. Uh, both sides of Sandy's family were in the ministry. Uh, her dad's side from the Assemblies of God, her mom's side in the Baptist uh, denomination. And um, I have sat in your chair my whole life until about seven years ago. And um, I have heard hundreds, literally thousands of sermons. When we first moved to Wisconsin in, in 2001, I went home to visit and I found in my dad's closet uh, sermon tapes 
from decades of ministry, and I, I brought them home with me. I listened to them all. I, I treasure them. I still have a cassette tape player at my house. Um, in 2014, when my dad retired, we were, again, home visiting. Uh, he served for 40 years as the president of Evangel University. Actually, it's three years ago today that he went to be with the Lord, and um, he had this iPod Touch. Anybody ever had iPod Touch? It was, it was available for just a short period of time because it's, it's virtually worthless, <laughs> except um, they had chapel. We had chapel every day at Evangel at 10 o'clock, Monday through Friday, and you only got a certain amount of cuts, um, but he preached every other Thursday. And in 2014, I got an iPod Touch with 250 chapel sermons dating all the way back to 1989. And uh, man, I treasure those. They're amazing. But what's really amazing to me is it wasn't until June of 2000, I was 28 years old, was the first time I ever heard a sermon on water baptism. And it radically changed my perspective. Um, one of my core beliefs is that discipleship begins right here. And I believe the Lord just burned this into my heart, even all the way back in the year 2000, knowing that in 15 years, we would be launching a church where water baptism would be one of our core beliefs. Um, and so today, I want to just take the time. Uh, many of you have heard this before. Uh, many of you, this is your first time because the last time I preached it was last April. There seems to be an opportunity every year uh, and I, I take advantage of it. Biblical Christianity is not ritualistic or sacramental. What do I mean by that? Well, sacramentalism is a belief that there's a special grace that is granted to individuals who engage in certain prescribed rituals, okay? It, it's like, okay, if you do these things, then you get this special grace from the Lord. That's what I mean by that. It is also typically understood that regardless of if you have an active faith, that as long as you do these certain rituals, then you get this grace. In other words, all you got to do is just go through this process or this ritual, and then you get this favor from the Lord. Uh, we don't believe that. <clears throat> what, we, what we do believe and observe here is what we call ordinances of the church. Now, an ordinance would be a piece of legislation enacted by a municipal authority, if you are to look it up in the dictionary, or an authoritative order, a decree. And so what, what, what we mean is the Bible, the sole source of truth in our lives, the Bible is an authoritative word, and it has instructed us to do or observe two things, holy communion and water baptism. Now, it's my experience that it is easy to participate in holy communion. And if you wonder why we don't do communion at Mill City Church, well, you've just exposed yourself as a non-Wednesday night attendee because we have communion every Wednesday night. You're just not here to join us, and you should. You should make that part of your weekly schedule. Uh, it's a different story, though, when it comes to water baptism. Why do you think that is? Why is it that people struggle with 
being baptized? Well, I'll give you five reasons. First, they don't know. They never heard about it. Like me, after 28 years being raised in the church, I had never heard anybody teach on the importance of being baptized. So they don't understand the significance. They don't understand the importance. They don't know, so they don't do it. And here's an example where the local church, and not pointing fingers at any specific church because it's, it's really uh, holistic, um, church drops the ball here. Um, when the church offers a baptism service once a year or quarterly or even twice a year, they're not teaching what the Bible has to say about baptism. Um, it's really sad, but it's become a cultural thing within the church today, and it's not an indictment of any single church. It's really across the board. Second, pride. I'll give you two, two areas here. First, um, let's say somebody comes to know the Lord, and um, they attend a church that does baptisms once or twice a year. Uh, they step in, just like Nick and his family stepped in, getting involved, and they're, they're engaging in all the different things that, uh, that the Lord uh, has to offer through the church. And, and uh, next thing you know, they're, they're growing in their salvation, they're, they're maturing, they're, they're discipling, perhaps they even make it on the stage on the worship team. Uh, next thing you know, hey, there's a baptism service offered, and they're like, well, well I can't be baptized now because I'm already ministering and people will think I, I'm a fraud because Pastor Steve says it's like kindergarten stuff and so I'm already in sixth grade. Well, you know what that is. That's pride. The second, and this one's kind of super silly, um, they don't want to be wet in front of people. Never mind that, you know, they go swimming in the summertime in front of people, mixed swimming, Ooh. It's not going to be wet in church because that's not the way things are supposed to be. I don't get wet in church in front of people. And that's pride. Third, people aren't baptized because of indifference. They just don't really care one way or the other. It doesn't really matter. I mean, it's fine for you. It's just not really that big of a deal for me. And so I don't get baptized because it's just not that important. Fourth is defiance. Nobody's going to tell them what to do. They're just rebellious, and never mind the Bible says rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. They're simply not going to do it because somebody tells them they've got to do it. You probably work with some of those people. You may be one yourself. Finally, and this may sound harsh, the reason people aren't baptized is because they're not a Christian. They're not a Christian. When you become a Christian, things change in your life. Rebellion changes, defiance changes, indifference changes. You grow in Christ-likeness. Part of Christ-likeness is the commands, a desire for the commands of God. It's the desire to follow his example. If it's not hard to follow him, if you're living for him, but when there's no desire, there's no belief. When there's no belief, there's no believer. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you're saved, you need to be baptized. So what I'm going to do for the balance of the time this morning here is walk you through what the Bible has to say about water baptism. First, what is 
water baptism. Nick, by the way, they, has not been here since I preached on this, so lack of knowledge. Let's give him, a, give him a mulligan here. But give him a hand, this guy. Didn't even know I was preaching on baptism. And now you'll know the importance. It is a symbol. It symbolizes the beginning of spiritual life. It's a public declaration. Hey, everybody, Nick is a Christian. Woo! It is a public declaration of his identification with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. And that's what makes it possible for him to be made new in Christ. The most common word for um, baptism in the New Testament is baptizo. It's used over 80 times. It simply means to be dipped in water. To you and me, that means submerge, dump, dip, immersed, to be made fully wet in front of people, to be put under the water. John Calvin, in fact, says the word baptized means to immerse. It is certain that immersion was the practice of the early church. In fact, every time it's used, it is always used in the context of something someone is baptized into. It is never used in the onto context. For example, Mark chapter 1, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, was baptized by John in the Jordan, just as Jesus is coming up out of the water. John chapter 3, uh, John is baptizing because there was plenty of water. Matthew chapter 3, we saw last week, thank you, Jay Baker, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. We just saw a few minutes ago, verse 16, Jesus was baptized. He went up out of the water. Acts chapter 8, both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water. Philip baptized them when they came up out of the water. So inevitably, we start talking about baptism every single time. The question is, so I'm going to go ahead and ask it and answer it for you. What if I was baptized as an infant? What if I was sprinkled or christened? Follow-up question it would be, is that traditional or is that biblical, scriptural? Um, I am not the authority on what the Catholic Church teaches or believes or the Lutheran church or any religion or denomination other than the assemblies of God, my time is dominated in finding out what the Bible says. So I have a limitation to what other denominations believe, but I will say this, the Bible is silent completely on infant baptism. That is to say it is not in the Bible. Um, the closest thing we have is what we believe here in practice. It's modeled for us. Matthew chapter 19, Jesus says, let the little children come to me. And he put his hands on them and he prayed for them. You could, in, you could imply there that he blessed them. So that's what we practice here. We call it baby dedication or child dedication. Um, it is a, it is a, serves two, two purposes um, one, it is a blessing of the child and a dedication of the child to the Lord. Uh, at the same time, it is a charge because children do not yet realize until they get to what we call an age or a state of accountability where they can understand that they are a sinner in need of a savior. That becomes so much easier 
when it has been lived out by their parents and their extended family, their grandparents and their aunts and uncles and their church family. And so it serves two purposes. The second purpose is a charge to the parents to live in such a way that they have modeled what it is to be a believer in Jesus Christ. It's a charge to the grandparents and the extended family to do the same thing and to the church. We must model what it means to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we're finished here today, um, you might say, well, I was baptized as an infant. I was sprinkled or I was christened, whatever. Uh, should I be rebaptized? The answer to that question is no. You should be baptized. Okay? You should not be rebaptized if you were baptized as an infant. You need to be baptized. We find a key scripture here in Acts chapter 19. The devil didn't like that, did he? The devil's in the details. Maybe it's my scruffy beard. I shaved three days ago. <laughs> Acts chapter 19, um, Paul comes upon uh, some believers in Ephesus, and he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, well, what baptism did you receive? And they said, John's baptism. And Paul says, well, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, and he told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus, on hearing this, they said, well, well, now, wait a second, I was already baptized. No, 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 I was baptized before. I don't need to, no, I, I don't need to hear that. That's not at all what they said. They said, oh, okay. And so they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, we don't semantics here. Uh, we do believe in the Great Commission to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what we do. Some churches say, well, you know, you only baptize in the name of Jesus. Pull in different scriptures. Uh, you know, we don't doctrinize single scriptures here. Um, I believe, though, that the early church didn't even count those saved unless they were baptized. Because that's how it's written. Acts chapter 2, those who accepted the message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number. Acts chapter 8, when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. It was an understanding that when you believe, you are then baptized. Brings me to another point, and that's the urgency of baptism. We go to Acts chapter 16 with this. This is where Paul and Silas are worshiping the Lord after they have been stripped and beaten with rods and severely flogged and thrown into the inner cell of the dungeon. Nothing says, let's worship the Lord like that and then having our feet and hands put in the stocks. Can you imagine that? Let's worship. Let's have worship service. What happens when you worship the Lord? Power of God comes. And the gates fly open and the chains come loose. Jailer's so afraid that he's going to be put to death, he goes to kill himself. And Paul says, don't do that. Power of God comes, people get saved. That's exactly what happened here. What must I do to be saved? Verse 30. Verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved you and your household. 
Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, and then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. So if it really doesn't matter when you get baptized, don't you think Paul would have suggested they wait? Why, why, why would you say that? Well, they've just been severely flogged. <laughs> it, you know, there is some physical action to baptizing someone. It's not overly restraining, but if I've been beaten with rods and severely flogged, I might want my back to heal a little bit. Maybe I'm hungry. Why don't you feed me? How about this? I just broke out of jail. I'm going to get it. Hey, make sure you find a good church and get baptized. I'm out. No, that's not what Paul was all about. He understood the importance of, of baptism immediately following salvation. If you're saved, you need to be baptized. You need to be baptized today if you have not been baptized. Second, what's the purpose? I mean, if it's that important, if it's that urgent, why? Good question. First of all, it's obedience. It's beginning your life as a disciple by obeying the Lord. There's something to be said for being obedient. The command is make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything else. Um, we, we li- this deserves some commentary here, I believe. We live in a very unsubmissive generation. And it's understandable with the quality of the leaders that we have available to us. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's incredibly difficult in this generation to be a leader. To be a godly leader is hard. Because of the heart of this generation, our culture. I looked up synonyms for unsubmissive. Let me share them with you. Rebellious, antagonistic, uncompliant, discontented, disloyal, mutinous, unfriendly, dissatisfied, and hostile. Kind of sounds like the United States of America, doesn't it? Sound like anybody you know? Does it sound like you? If that person is a Christian or professes to be, I would say their light isn't shining very brightly. They're not representing Christ very well. The reason I bring that up is... When that attitude, that's a heart problem for one. And when that attitude is allowed to go unchecked, it becomes a cancer and it spreads. And sadly, it spreads into the church. And so even though there's a legitimate reason for not wanting to or feeling like you cannot respect your leader or a leader, 
And that doesn't change God's command found in Romans chapter 13. Because all authority is ordained by God. He knows exactly who your leaders are, who our leaders are. This didn't, does not take him by surprise. Read through the Old Testament and tell me, or New Testament, read through the entire Bible and tell me that God doesn't allow ungodly leadership. He does allow it. But we can't let it in, infiltrate the church. So that when you read commands of God, your first initial response is, Wah! why? Because the Bible says to do it. Well, you're going to have to give me a better reason than that. I don't have a better reason than that. If the Bible says to do it, then, then we do it. And we do it with joy. Amen? So alongside obedience, um, baptism is a symbol of a spiritual reality. It's an outward sign of an inward commitment. Baptism actually finds its roots in Jewish tradition. In fact, if someone was not born a Jew and they wanted to become a Jew, uh, they had to go through two things. If you were a male, first you had to be circumcised. If you still wanted to be a Jew, then you would be baptized. And it was baptism by immersion. So when John the Baptist comes on the scene, throughout the entire Jewish history, no Jew had ever been baptized. In fact, only Gentiles in their entire history had been baptized. So John comes on the scene, as, as uh, Jabe taught last week, he's preparing the way for the Messiah from a spiritual point of view, from a humility point of view, by being baptized physically, they are opening their heart to receiving the truth that they are sinners in need of a Savior, just like everybody else. It, but uh, So um, he would baptize them for repentance, being prepared for that message of the good news. It's an outward sign of an inward change of heart. And so... With that in mind, John comes on the scene, and here comes Jesus. And he knows who Jesus is. He knows that Jesus does not need to be baptized for repentance of sin because he has no sin. And yet, we see in 13, Jesus comes to him to be baptized. And John's like, no, wait a second. I need to be baptized by you. You don't need me. And Jesus says, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Okay, what, is, what does that mean? Well, two things. One, obedience. Jesus always obeyed the Father in all things. And Jesus never asks us to do something that he hasn't already done. He has modeled obedience throughout his life. He has modeled humility throughout his life. Second, notice it says, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. How did Jesus fulfill all righteousness? Well, he lived a sinful, a, pardon me, sinless <laughs> life. Whoosh. Sinless life. He never did a bad thing, never said a bad thing, never thought a bad thought. He did it by taking our place, bearing our sin, 
on the cross. He gave up his perfect life for our imperfect life. He died. He was buried. And he rose again. That's how he fulfilled. Paul talks about it as of first importance. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel. It is what I preach to you. It is what you received. It is what you have taken your stand on. By this gospel, you are saved. What is that? Christ died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. That is the good news. That's how he fulfilled righteousness. So for whatever baptism is, it is connected to death and resurrection. It is a symbol of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. There's another scripture I want to point out to you. It's, it's an interesting one and found in Luke chapter 12. Jesus says, I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and what constraint I am until it is completely. He is talking specifically about where he is going. I'm going to Jerusalem. He knows it is to be crucified. And he refers to it as a baptism. Isn't that interesting? And so he even builds this correlation. As a believer, what you are doing when you are baptized is you are identifying physically with the spiritual truth of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. I believe this, and I am dedicating my life to this belief. I am taking this physical step to pull this together. It's like what, what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2. I have been crucified with Christ. And so I no longer live myself. Christ lives inside me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So the plan of salvation is this. Our sin has separated us from God. On our very best day, we could never come up to God's perfection, to his standard. And he knows it. And so he made a way for us. He took our place. So in a sense, when he died, when you choose to believe, when he died, you died with him. So when he rose to life, you rose to life with him. Baptism is an illustration of that plan of salvation. Nick, when you went into the water, you are symbolizing you are dying now to yourself. When you are under the water, you are buried spiritually with him. When you come up out of the water, you are now representing that you are now alive in Christ. You are born again. You have been made new. That's awesome. 
And then as we get to identify, we get to witness that. That's why we love to do it every single week because it's like a reminder every single time we get to see, hey, there's new life. I have new life. I've been made new. I've been born again. He's been born again. Let's cheer him on. Let's say, that's awesome. I can't wait to see another one. Let's do it again and do it again. And then we get accountability. And so now Nick, he's, he's new in this walk. And the other brothers that are, uh, that are part of this family, we get to walk alongside him and, and pick him up when he stumbles and keep walking again. And then there's more people coming and, and he gets to do the same thing. It's just this, it's a family and it's awesome. And you don't even have to get circumcised. <laughs> we make it easy. <laughs> Third, let's move on. <laughs> Do you have to be baptized to be saved? Hmm. No. Now, as I understand, um, the belief in that is found... Uh, well, first of all, if it, it, the, the belief of a child baptism, that, that, that is not even in the Bible. But there are those that believe that you have to be baptized to seal the deal. That's works, okay? We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not of ourselves. It's a gift, okay? Mark chapter 16 says, whoever believes and is baptized, this is Jesus, this is the great commission found in Mark, it's worded a little bit differently, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned, Jesus says. So another example of, of the danger of taking a single scripture and making a doctrine around it, um, baptism is very important, but Nick, your sins were washed away when you believed that didn't wash your sins away. Your sins were already washed away. The relationship is not between baptism and forgiveness of sin. It's between salvation and obedience. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, Therefore rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind, like newborn babies, Crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted the Lord is good. Okay, just a couple of things here. You tasted the Lord is good. You have been forgiven of sin. That's the goodness of God. You did not have to work. You did not have to pay. You did not have to do anything for that. It is a gift of God. That is the goodness of God. And so now you've been born again. And you're a baby again. And so now you get to grow up. You're not sinless. You are sinful. That's why you need a Savior. And part of growing up in your Salvation is getting rid of deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Getting rid of the filth that separates us from God. We'll never be completely rid of it because we, as Paul says, the life I live in the flesh, in the body. You're still in the body, this side of heaven. And so there's constant confession. There's constant repentance. 
But, you know, eventually, it's like Colossians chapter 3 says, get rid of these things. Okay, I got rid of the big ones. Okay, now let's work on your anger. Now let's work on your language. Let's work on the little things that are constantly a little nipping at your heels because they're always going to be there and we always want to be Christ-like. Being obedient is, is a command and that's what helps us to grow up. Second Peter you know, he puts it this way. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through the knowledge of him. How do you overcome sin? The knowledge of God, the knowledge of Christ, becoming Christ-like, obeying his commands. These are good things. You can't argue with them. Verse 5 says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. You're saved by grace through faith. So add to that faith goodness, resolve to do good. So how do you know that? Well, you need to add knowledge. It's building blocks. You're saved. Now resolve to do what's right. You got to find out what's right. Knowledge of him. Add to that knowledge self-control because there's some things you don't want to let go. I was talking to somebody one time. He said, you know what I figured out about me? I have to be mad at at, at least one person all the time. <laughs> I'm like, dude, if you know that, <laughs> no one's half the battle. Self-control. Then you have to persevere through that. Getting rid of those things. Perseverance, godliness, godliness. We see the building blocks all the way. But make no mistake about it. Your salvation is not in what you do. Your salvation is what he has done for you. Ephesians chapter 2. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Remember Paul and Silas said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. Now, in that package, he says you and your household three times. And that in itself can be confusing. So, so does his salvation automatically go to the family? No, it doesn't. Because in the third time, it says that they believed and were baptized, okay? But let me say this, as a leader in your home, Men, as a leader in an organization, whoever you are, you have an impact on the people around you. And as you stand for right, as you, you know, and I said, it's hard to be a leader in today's society, but you can do it through the power of God. And it will have an impact on everyone around you. Baptism doesn't save you, but it does begin the new life that you have chosen to live. And the part of that new life is a decision not only to identify yourself with Christ, but also to obey his commands. He has traded his life for yours. So when you receive that, you've traded your imperfection for his perfection. And so if he's Lord of your life, then you're not Lord of your life anymore, and you need to begin to take steps 
to identify with that. And so in a very real sense, salvation begins with baptism. If you're not willing to be baptized, if you're not willing to follow Christ in the most basic, most foundational thing for you, then when are you going to start obeying him? And the question is why? Why are you not willing to do that? It's the first thing. In closing, the worship team can come. I mentioned I was raised in church, and, and um, I, I've known God my whole life. There's no, I, can't, I have no memory of, of a time when I did not believe in him. And, um, and yet I had my own adolescence, my own uh, season of walking away from him. But... Um, I was also raised in a, in a church culture where it wasn't, thank you, where it wasn't emphasized, it was just cultural. And um, I was baptized when I was in junior high. My dad baptized me. The church we attended did not have a baptismal, and uh, somebody in the church had a pool, and so we did it once a year, and, and uh, my dad traveled a lot. When I was a child, my, my brothers, um, I have a brother that's seven years older than me, one that's two years older, and, and when John turned 16, my mom started going with him, and then uh, when he went on to college and Dave was, was able to drive, and so mom just continued to travel with my dad throughout our adolescence and my teen years. Uh, I was, we were not part of a church. We, my parents chose to just go to church wherever we wanted to go, and John kind of drove that boat because he had the, the closest friends that were a part of, of a couple of different churches. But um, when I was a junior in high school and my, both my brothers were gone, I had a lot of freedom that I wasn't prepared for. And um, it opened the door for me to... to just live a, a life that was uh, just not pleasing to the Lord. Uh, I, I knew, uh, and I knew I wasn't wasn't uh, living correctly. But um, I didn't have a I didn't have a, a youth group. I didn't have supervision. I had a lot of freedom and a lot of adolescence. And um, let me just say this to parents: Listen, you can't expect. Don't give in to the lie that your kids need to find God on their own. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. If you have a child, you have a responsibility to introduce them to the only God. That is your responsibility. And that is totally against the grain. That is totally against what our society wants you to believe. 
And I, but for the grace of God, I stand before you today. You know, even after marriage, um, for the first couple of years of our marriage, we just lived how we wanted to live. All of our friends were non-church people. They were work-related. Uh, we, we lived completely outside of how we were raised to live. And then, Michael, uh, we found out we we're going to have our son. And so all of a sudden, the, you know, rubber meets the road. And you're like, ah, I guess. And that's praise God for that. Um, but we were loosely affiliated with a church that just had church on Sunday morning, and it, it was it was uh, it was an independent Bible church, and and uh, nobody knew us, and we could come and go as we pleased. We could attend whenever we wanted, and we knew we weren't going to get the phone call. Where were you today? I didn't see you at church today. And so you know that just leads to living life on your own. That's you. That's just the way it is. And um, my dad was preaching at Central Assembly on a Sunday night in December of 1998. And Michael was going to be joining us in about six weeks. And um, we walked into that building and the Holy Spirit was so heavy in that place. It was just like a blanket. We walked in the threshold of that door and we were overcome by the presence of God. And we sat there and just wept and repented. And and we got in the car at the end and I looked at Sandy and I said, did you feel that? And she did. Now we didn't talk about it the whole time. We just sat there and just wept. And we never went back to that other church. We, we stayed at that church. We're like, okay, this is where God wants us to be. This is our home. And we had our son in a few weeks. And, and we had a family around us that, was, that loved on us and blessed us. And then a year later, we moved to Marshfield, Missouri, about 20 miles out. And we were far enough away that we knew we wouldn't be at church when we needed to be at church. So we went to the local church. And we just walked in that first Sunday, and there was about 120 people there. And we were fresh meat. And it was scary. But there were five other one-year-old boys in that nursery. And we were there for about eight months, nine months. And we called that boot camp. Because those people taught us how to serve the Lord by serving the church. And we were surrounded. It was, it, was, it, was, it was nothing short of a divine intervention into our lives where God plucked us out of a place and threw us down in this place where there were people just like us that were in just a little bit further ahead spiritually than we were. And many of them are still in that same church 24 years and God's taken us lots of different places. Praise the Lord for that. But it was that year, that was, uh, that was in April of 2000 that we went to that church. And it was June of 2000, just a few months later, when I heard that sermon on baptism. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's me. And I knew. Because I was baptized when I was like 13, and that was before my life of sin. Not, not that I'm sinless, you know, just ask my wife. 
But that was when I said, you know what? This is my faith. I was saved, I was forgiven, I was all that. But no, I had never, I had not made a public declaration of my salvation, of my belief in God. And we didn't have a baptismal either. And so there was a church in, in Stratford, just be 10 miles up the road. If you've been to Stronger Men's, you know we've, we've driven through both of those little towns. And they had a baptism and we had a four o'clock service and my brother was not uh, uh, available to come and my parents were out of town, but my grandmother was, was available and she drove from Springfield to be at that service. And then she bought the church a baptismal <laughs> in uh, Marshfield. It's still there. She bought a sign for the church. She was just so blown away by the impact that that little church had made on my life. And I stand before you 24 years later, 23 years later. I'm telling you, you take a step of obedience. Was I ready to pastor a church? No way. I offered to be their youth pastor, and they said, nah, I don't think you're ready yet. And you know what? Truth be told, six months later, I was in Wisconsin. Who knew? The Lord knew. But I needed to take that step of obedience. I was rebaptized. The reality was... I truly was baptized. I made the choice. I really didn't understand. Life hadn't come my way yet when I was 13. But God planted us there and he opened my eyes. In Matthew chapter 3, after Jesus came up out of the water. Heaven open. And I believe this, Nick. Heaven opens when you make that step of faith. Some of you struggle with sin. You struggle with temptation. You struggle with substance. You struggle with anger. You struggle with bitterness. You struggle. And the truth is this. If you're not obedient... You're saved. But you're still struggling because you're not taking that step of obedience. And I'm telling you, heaven opened and God himself said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Why? Because he trusts me and he obeys me. so important. That's why we take our time. And I believe that's why the Lord opens the door at some point every 12 or 18 months and has every year at Mill City Church has opened up the door for us to teach on this because it's so important. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word because it's true. We anchor our lives, we anchor this church to your word. We are committed to being obedient to you. God, I thank you that we don't have to work ourselves to your grace. Supernaturally, you draw people to a place. And you, you put them in a place where your word 
can be spoken and your truth can be spoken and the good news can be declared that you've opened up hearts today already for people to receive that. And so in this moment with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to I want to ask first and foremost if you if you've not ever taken a step towards Jesus. You, you've never put your faith and trust in him. You are one prayer away from forgiveness, salvation, new life. And if that's you, you've just, you I've never made the decision to make Jesus Lord of my life. I've never I've never done that. I'd like to pray for you. Just a sign of an upraised hand. Just acknowledge that. Anybody here today? Awesome. Have you been baptized? If you've not been baptized... You now know the importance of it. You know what the Bible has to say. And I'm just telling you straight up, God loves you with all his heart. He wants the very best for you. And following him, being obedient to him, begins with this step. And so every year we make this opportunity available. We have change of clothes. We have towels. We even have underwear that you can keep. Because we want to, we want to help you to begin this life, to start this life of obedience right here, right now. So even if you didn't, hey, I didn't even know. I, now you know, and, and we want to help you with that. And we want to celebrate with you. If, if you've never been baptized, and the Lord's knocking on the door of your heart right now. You know that he's speaking to you. You need to be baptized today. Would you just lift your hand today? Would you be willing to stand? Anybody here today? I got one right here. Awesome. Praise God. Who else? Is anybody else here today? Anybody else? Awesome. Hey, we got one right here. This young man. Sweet. If you guys will walk back there. Yes, we got a mom here. Sweet. Praise the Lord. If you guys want to walk back there, we're going to do it after the first service. There's somebody to greet you. and We'll get you uh, a, a change of clothes and towel. Anybody else? If, if you're ready to go, we're going to do this second service. It's going to be a great example for what God's going to do next service. And if, you, if you'd like to do this, just make your way to the back there as we stand together. And we're going to worship the Lord as we close today. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for a bold step of obedience. I thank you, God. God, we're, you're not ashamed of us. We saw that in, in your genealogy. You're not ashamed of those errors of life. You're not ashamed of those seasons of life. You're not ashamed of those who've been wronged, who have who've had things done to them that were completely wrong things that have people that have wronged others you are looking for those who are willing to take a step towards you to trust you at your word and begin to take steps of obedience and God I pray right now 
for the rest of this service and for next service that boldness would be evident that boldness would be proclaimed that boldness would be lived out we thank you God for what you're already doing for what you're going to do for the rest of this day and for the rest of this year hallelujah we praise your name we praise your name